Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, everybody, to Fruit Loop Season 2, Episode 25. Oh, my gosh. I know. Man, can you believe it? We're we're still doing this stuff. Still here. Still here. (laughs) So thank you all so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and fruit loops is a podcast all about them we will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims the media and entertainment commonly leave out because you know the news is racist allegedly (laughs) and we are wendy and beth she's wendy i'm beth we're not journalists investigators or psychologists just a couple of gals interested in true crime Mm -hmm. also the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. Now, if you would like to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale hey, on our website at fruitloopspod.com slash merch. And if you can't help monetarily, no big deal. No problem. You can always give us a five-star review on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. Amen. That's right. (laughs) So who are we talking about today, Beth? This is part two of our episode on Kendall Francois, also known as the Poughkeepsie Killer. 
A serial killer from Poughkeepsie, New York, convicted of killing eight women from 1996 to 1998. If you haven't listened to part one yet, stop right now. Go back and listen to that and we'll meet you right back here. That's right. So how you doing? I'm all right. Uh, Easter was last Sunday, and I missed my grandson. Oh, yeah, I know. I was thinking about giving him an Easter basket and watching him look for the eggs and stuff. But yeah, he's not here. So, but I'll be able to see him in June. So it's okay. Okay. It's okay. 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 It'll. It'll. It's gonna be all. It's gonna be all right now. You, I believe, are a model grandmother. (laughs) I mean, you, no, seriously, like you love being around your grandkids. And it's almost like you'll move mountains to be around (laughs) your grandson. And I just think that is remarkable. You're like the LeBron James of grandmas. I can't help it. I know it's it's a little insane, but I can't help it. (laughs) I just think it is so cool, and you should be so proud of yourself. But I'm so sorry you didn't get to spend Easter. But June is going to be be fucking late. Going to be here soon. So, (laughs) (laughs) how you doing? Well, thank you so much for asking. Um, If it weren't for Beyonce, I really do not know where I would be in this life. I mean. so so we all knew about Beyonce last year because the Queen Bee put out, she put out a documentary about her headlining, um, her history-making show at Coachella. And oh, Lord, <laughs> Beyonce filleth my cup and my cup runneth over. Now, Beyonce is the first black woman to ever headline a show oh, wow. at Coachella. So it was history-making. And when we watched it, I think... I remember you even coming over to my desk and I was like, I'm watching Beyonce. I'm watching Beyonce. You come back later. Like, we could talk about this damn podcast another time. (laughs) But it was so glorious. Um, So she did her Netflix special and I've watched it like eight times. (laughs) And I, I don't need to see or watch anything else this show and the album she also released an album on spotify of her live recordings and i just can't say enough about how much goodness this documentary made That's me awesome. feel i mean she talked about oh my god be and and beyonce uh I don't know if you recall when she released the uh, Lemonade album. Yes, I do. She 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 lit up the internet. She lit up the internet, and she really she really is speaking to black girls, and 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 a lot of people are not paying attention to black women as a demographic. And Beyonce is like, I hear you guys. I yeah, see you. that's Here awesome. I Here I am for you. And so she just put out, um, just all the good feels and she talked about you know finding out that she was pregnant and it wasn't she wasn't expecting twins uh but she is fertile as fuck (laughs) and uh and she talked about how difficult her pregnancy was which black women fertility issues are not discussed very much in medicine um and as a black woman like Beyonce, I had my own complications with birth. Um, and so hearing her talk about it was really, um, cathar- maybe cathartic. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, you know, the queen, she's queen B she's always honest with us. And, um, you know, she talked about her bl- high blood pressure. She talked about, um, she had toxemia when she was pregnant oh, wow. with the twins. She talked about, um, preeclampsia. I had that. And, um, it, it was just, it was just really, really neat to hear another, a, a powerful black woman talk about, I had these issues too, and the doctors didn't listen to me. And I'm Beyonce. <laughs> and I'm B, I'm B fucking Beyonce. She had, she had to have an emergency C-section. I had, I had to have the same oh, wow. because just like her, my baby's heart rate was dropping while he was in, in, in my womb. And, um, God damn. I mean, I was, people just don't listen to black women when they talk about their pain, uh, when, especially when they are in the maternity ward. And so it was just really, really cool to hear Beyonce actually be really honest and truthful about her experience. And, oh my God, God, do, have you watched it? I haven't. I've been asking everybody. Oh my God! Okay, everybody, like it. It is just fun. 
it is just fun. I don't know if you've ever been to um, like a step show or uh, a homecoming at an HBC, a historically back college, but it is it is bone chilling how much fun they have with the drumline and the dancers and the choreography and just everything is just so over the top. Um, and that's what Beyonce brought to Coachella. She did her own little HBC homecoming type of <laughs> celebration. What's the name of the documentary? Homecoming. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Got please, it. Please, please go okay, watch it. Okay. I'll put it in my queue. Your life your life together and watch it. I mean, I, I, I've been learned trying to learn the dance moves. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> my kids are like, what's mom doing in the living room? Uh, Dancing. I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning Beyonce dance moves. Okay. So anyway, uh, but oh, gosh, I got tangent. I'm so sorry. But, uh, so now we're going to get into the part of our show <laughs> where we, <laughs> we get into our uh, listener letters. And if you'll excuse me for one second, I'm going to call the um, angels. Summon the angels. Yes. <laughs> um, where are you guys? Hey guys. Uh, <laughs> okay here they oh, are hey. <laughs> <laughs> well here we go we got a lovely letter this week um actually it was a review on itunes from minerva slash athena on again itunes thanks boo for the five stars oh yeah hey pop air horns to you god damn it it's not <laughs> everything that can go wrong is. is going wrong tonight it's going wrong today <laughs> boy oh boy it's oh my god <laughs> there we yeah. go i was gonna say <laughs> I was going to say, this is what being black feels like. <laughs> like and nothing, nothing, nothing goes right. Nothing goes right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, Minerva's review states the following. Literally obsessed is the title of her uh, iTunes review. And I loved it. She's so, so literally obsessed saying, I found myself becoming a fan of true crime and recently even more than in the past. I was looking for a podcast to listen to when I was bored. Since I'm so interested in true crime and serial killers specifically, when I found this podcast, I clicked on it right away. I never intended to find a podcast tackling the issue of racism. And all I can say is, wow. At first, I was skeptical, thinking it was just reversed racism. But it's really opened my eyes. You two have amazing chemistry, and I found myself binging it consistently. I find myself laughing and smiling, but terrified at the same time. <laughs> That's our goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bing, ding, ding, ding. It's an amazing podcast, and definitely keep up the good work. I'm glad to see that someone opened the discussion in a new way, and I love you too. Oh, thanks. And I, we just want to say Minerva slash Athena on iTunes. Thank you for the lovely message. Yeah. And I'm going to give you some hip hop air horns, but I hope that they're loud enough. Yes. All right. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so now we're going to take a quick ad break and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. We would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us. For more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com or check out our website at fruitloopspod.com. We're back! Hey! <laughs> so, uh, who are we talking about again today, Beth? This is part two of Kendall Francois, uh, also known as the Poughkeepsie Killer, a black serial killer from Poughkeepsie, New York, convicted of killing eight white women from 1996 to 1998. Last week, we covered Francois's early life, the timeline and investigation, and now we will get into the rest of the story. Um, I was I was just going to say, this is a tangent, but do you remember the talk radio show in the Bay Area about... And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Do you remember that? I don't. KGO News Talk FM. Uh, come on. What, seriously? I left the Bay Area when I was 10. So. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. So, I, so you'll have to forgive me. Okay. It's okay. You're forgiven. <laughs> totally. But, but when I was growing up in the Bay Area in the 90s, my mom 
just like a consumed like talk radio like it was a drug like it was her crack <laughs> her crack cocaine and uh, we would listen to KGO News Talk FM and there was one show where the dude would be like and now you know the rest of the story so shout out to Paul Harvey I think that was the dude's name the dude's name but anyway sounds um, right okay yeah I don't know <laughs> so uh let's get into uh Kendall Francois's arrest Take it away, Beth. On the morning of Tuesday, September 1st, 1998, a slightly built woman by the name of Christine Sala was picked up by Kendall Francois, whom she knew and had been with before with no problems. They went to his house where he promised to pay her for sex. At about 8.30 that morning, when Sala asked for payment, Francois began to strangle her. Sala was somehow able to get free and talked Francois into taking her to the gas station to get some cigarettes. They got into his white car and he drove Sala to a local gas station. But just before he pulled into the station, Sala jumped from the car and ran away. The man continued to drive down the street. Yeah, and I was watching uh, one of those crime shows uh, about this and she just like opened the door and like jumped out and he just kept driving. <laughs> Dang, anyway, that's what they portrayed on the show. That's what I read. So that's what it sounds Holy like shit. what happened. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> so at the same time and less than a block away, Detective Skip Manane and Bob McCready were driving in their unmarked car, preparing to give out flyers asking the public for help in the Katina Newmaster disappearance. They saw Francois in his familiar white Camry drive by the other way and waved at him. And Francois waved back. Oh, this guy has no fucking shame. <laughs> okay. Uh, the officers pulled into the same gas station that Francois had just left. And a man came up to the car and told the police that a girl who was now walking away said that she was just assaulted. The cops located the woman who had visible bruises on her neck. At first, she was reluctant to talk to them because she thought she was going to be arrested. But she then confirmed the attack. She was brought into the police station where she filed a complaint against Francois. That same afternoon, the police returned to 99 Fulton Street to talk with Kendall Francois about the attack on Christine Sala. They asked him to come into the police department to discuss the report. He agreed and was taken to headquarters. He admitted to the assault on Christine Sala, explaining that he had just lost his temper, but that he had then come to his senses and then took her back downtown. All right. This is uh, this is some fuckery. <laughs> All right. Uh, but when the police told him that they were going that they were getting a search warrant for his house, Francois eventually admitted to killing the missing women. Uh, police were struck by what they called his ice cold manner during his confession. He told them that the bodies were in the attic, basement and crawl space of the house where he lived with his parents and sister. On September 1st, 1998, Francois was arrested. A search warrant was drawn up and signed by a town court judge. And on September 2nd, 1998, shortly after midnight, the town of Poughkeepsie Police State Police, City of Poughkeepsie Police, a team of detectives, the district attorney, EMS crews, and an army of policemen drove over to 99 Fulton Street. That sounds nuts. <laughs> that's a lot. Of, that's a yeah. lot of people. That's a lot of force. Uh, I don't know if all that was necessary. No, I don't. I think don't so. even know if they. I don't know if they would do that for a white dude. I'm yeah, just saying, I don't. I don't know. I. I was thinking maybe because uh, the city of Poughkeepsie is pretty small. Maybe they're all mm -hmm. just really excited. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. We Woo! got us a genuine serial killer. Let's go. Stupid fuckos. Jesus Christ. Okay. All right, guys. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even with the police. I can't with you, you messy ass fucking homes. No. Uh, all right. So. 
99 Fulton, what that's the address, was a two-story green colonial home situated in the middle of the block, sandwiched in between two other similar houses. The house looked like any other home on the block, and although it had a slightly run-down appearance, it was indistinguishable from other neighborhood homes. Upon arrival, Kendall's parents and sister were told of the purpose of the visit. They were removed from the home and brought to the town of Poughkeepsie Police Department for questioning while the police began their search. The house was filled with garbage that was strewn everywhere, on the floors, furniture, in the sinks, and closets. Uh, Closets were piled all over. Oh, closets. There were closets Closets. everywhere. There were closets everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Do over. (laughs) Clothes were piled all over and sheets were pulled over the windows. Old food, newspapers, broken furniture, empty cans and bottles, unidentified, unidentified, unidentifiable junk. Oh, my gosh. Stay away from Chardonnay. <laughs> okay, because okay, the Chardonnay is hitting me. Unidentified, unidentifiable junk. <laughs> and uh, animal excrement and garbage of every kind was strewn everywhere. One detective remarked that in all his years, I just want to laugh. <laughs> In all his years on the job, <laughs> all his years on the job, he had, he had, he had, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. In all his years on the job, he had never, <laughs> you can do he it, had never, you can do it. <laughs> Never seen such living conditions. <laughs> the stench was overpowering. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh my god! This okay. This, it's Fruit Loops. Where this show whole show was a joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> woo, woo. All right. <sighs> Take All my right. bet. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> As word spread that Candle Francois had been arrested for murder, people from the media descended upon the neighborhood. Spotlights and cameras soon lined the streets. As police went about their business, relatives of the victims arrived to watch. Television crews strained to catch a glimpse of the bodies. It has been reported that some spectators ran from the scene gagging from the oppressive smell. District Attorney William Grady told the newspapers that based on what the suspect told police, eight bodies were inside the house. Slowly, the bodies were removed from the house. The corpses were in various states of decomposition, some far advanced beyond the putrefaction stage. Insect activity was widespread, and there were indications of rodent presence. It just gives you a, you know, feeling. Yeah. Um, Five bodies were found in the attic. Three of them were found together, wrapped in plastic, and it looked like attempts had been made to dismember at least one of them. The fourth body was found in a child's wading pool. Okay. Interesting choice. Happy summer. Uh, The fifth body was found in a can and was so decomposed that one of the investigators couldn't take it and had to be excused. The three freshest bodies were found in a crawl space beneath the house. One investigator called the crime scene a nightmare, quote unquote. Sounds like it. It does. Yeah. Over the next five days, the police investigators continued their search for bodies and evidence. The crowds got bigger and the media was everywhere. Relatives of victims gathered outside and held vigils in remembrance of their loved ones. On September 5th, the eighth and last body was removed from the Francois home. By then, the first body found had been identified as Katina Newmaster, the last girl to be reported missing on August 28th. Identifications of Gina Barone, Sandra French, and Catherine Marsh quickly followed. 
Oh, thank goodness that they've identified these women. A few days later, Wendy Myers, Kathleen Hurley, and Mary Giacconi were also identified, and police made an unexpected discovery. They had expected to find the body of Michelle Eason, a black woman who had gone missing from Poughkeepsie on September 1st, 1997. Instead, they found the body of Audrey Pugliese, 34, who had not been reported missing. Pugliese was from the city of New Rochelle, New York, and she had moved to Poughkeepsie six months prior after living most of her life in Westchester County. She was last seen three weeks prior to her body being found. By the time a search was completed, police had recovered eight corpses from the house. Only one woman remained missing, Michelle Carroll Eason, 29. But she was later mostly ruled out as a possible victim because she is black, while all of Francois's victims were white, and while the other victims had been found inside the Francois home, Eason was not. Boy, oh boy, racism just racism just can't seem to like <laughs> it, it, it. It just it always is around. Um, well, he did have a type. Yeah, so, yeah, he did. And he she did. wasn't found in the house, and all the other victims were. Although it, it's very possible that um, he did kill her and put her somewhere else. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. I yeah, I don't know. Um. Francois allegedly told officials that he would never admit to any role in Eason's disappearance because he did not want to be associated with the murder of an African-American woman. Several investigators uh, speculated that Francois killed Eason and disposed her remains elsewhere, but no evidence had been discovered to prove that theory. Eason did fit the mold of Francois's victims, except that the women found in Francois's house were all white. And um, I, I do want to uh, give you a little bit of culture corner here. Um, Malcolm X, he's got some famous quotes saying that the most disrespected woman in America is a black woman. The most ignored woman in America is a black woman. And um, Francois appears to me, just by his dates of birth, to have been a, a great migration baby. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps, but there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruit oh, yeah. HQ. Oh, yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, mm-hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Amen. Yes. And uh, now, I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't yeah. have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So oh yes, and it is much more affordable than in person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under forty eight hours. Our listeners get ten percent off their first month at Better com slash fruit that's better h-e-l-p dot com slash fruit and um uh, i wouldn't be surprised if uh his parents were kind of activisty um black people don't really get a choice in yeah. terms of being we, we just we have to be activists all yeah. the time it's just it's just it's, it's how we survive but um i i do wonder if um that sentiment of i don't want to ever hurt a black woman um is part of his ml yeah could be um yeah and so i just i just wanted to throw that out there i don't know if the fbi the I'm beginning to think that these FBI um, profilers are trash because they are really missing lots of parts of the story. They they have they have it's like they have no idea what black like what black or brown serial killers do or their MOs. It's just they're just focused on yeah. white kids and um, they're missing so much. So anyway, I just had to point that out. Uh, there's a reason w- why he would not want to hurt a black woman. Um, it's historical. It's um, ingrained. And uh, I think that it is worth 
mentioning. So anyway, next. Yeah. And I would say that he could probably hurt a black woman, but he didn't want people to think that he would hurt a black woman. Yes. I think that. Yes. Yeah. Nail on the head. Good job, <laughs> Beth. Man. Be like Beth. Hashtag be like Beth. <laughs> so Francois admitted that he knew Eason and said that they frequented the same areas of Main Street in the mid-1990s. But Francois denied having an intimate relationship with her. But other witnesses claimed otherwise. Eason left behind a young daughter, and her case remains unsolved today. And she is still missing. Two days after his arrest, Francois was indicted for the murder of Katina Newmaster. On September 9th, he appeared in court and a plea of not guilty was entered on his behalf. A month later, on October 13th, he was charged with eight counts of first degree murder, eight counts of second degree murder and attempted assault. Under New York state law, first degree murder, which includes serial murder, gives the district attorney the option of pursuing the death penalty. Though the DA makes the decision to ask for that sentence, it may only be imposed by a jury which has heard the case. Francois's attorneys chose to plead guilty on December 23rd and thereby avoiding trial by jury and the possibility of a death sentence. No, 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 no way! Uh, <laughs> during the time span surrounding the disappearances, Kendall Francois lived at home with his mother, father, and younger sister. In the hoarder house? In the hoarder house. Okay. Uh, who continued to deny any knowledge of the killings. Many people wondered how the parents could not have known what was going on, especially Kendall's mother, who was employed as a nurse for many years at the Hudson River Psychiatric Center in Poughkeepsie. But it has been reported that Kendall had told his parents a raccoon had died in the attic and he was having trouble finding the carcass. Okay, baby. <laughs> okay. okay. For, for a year and a half. <laughs> All right, all right, my little candle. Okay, candle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> where are they now? Well, <clears throat> let me tell you. On August 11th of 2000, Judge Thomas Dolan formally sentenced Kendall Francois to life in prison without parole, and he was incarcerated in Attica Correctional Facility. His family denied any knowledge of his deeds. Apparently, the stink of the garbage in the house covered the odor of the bodies, keeping Francois' family clueless to his murderous activities. Murderous. <laughs> Murderous. Murderous. So one thing, one of those documentaries, somebody had talked about it with the sister. And oh. uh, she said she remembered, like, laying on her bed and looking at the ceiling. And uh, there were bugs up Stop on the it. ceiling. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. You get out of here, Beth. That is, no. Are you serious? Yeah. No. So, I mean, the house no. was a shit pile. Uh, oh, God. And, and you know that that uh, detective went into the house, too, to look for that nail file, if you remember from the, from uh -huh. the first episode. Um, and uh -huh. he didn't smell it either. So, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. It's like this this house is so disgusting. I can't even smell a dead body. <laughs> I can't even. I can't yeah, even. Yeah, pretty awful. But wait. Oh me, oh my. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's probably why he smelled so bad. Uh oh. Francois. Because the house oh, wow. stunk. Yeah. The house stunk, so he stunk yeah. as well. No, poor Francois. Yeah, well, until he killed people. Uh, little little oh, Francois. Right. I, I forgot. Yeah, that's right. He's a trash yeah. human being. I forgot. Well, little, little baby boy Francois, I feel bad for. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. So Francois died in the Wend Correctional Facility on September 11th, 2014 at the age of 43. The official cause of death was apparent natural causes. According to a woman who corresponded with Francois in prison, he had cancer. Francois had contracted HIV, possibly from one of his victims, and his death was likely AIDS-related. I did hear that he had t- he had two tumors um, in his groin area that might have also contributed to his death. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't know. I'm yeah. not a doctor. I didn't examine his balls. <laughs> so I also read that after Francois was arrested, his parents had trouble finding a place to live. Uh, because of the reporting, especially in regards to uh, how unkempt the house was, they could not find a place to rent as nobody wanted to rent to them. And because the house had been mm-hmm. seized as a crime scene, they could not live there. And when the police were done investigating the house, someone covered it in hateful graffiti. I read that they went to live, quote unquote, far away, but I don't I don't know where. Yeah, I, 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 I would like to know like where they are now. Where are they now? <laughs> That's the whole point <laughs> of the segment. I'd also, I'm also wondering, um, what that hate, hateful graffiti was. It wasn't racist, I don't think. I think it was like killer, murderer stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I assumed it was racist. Yeah. Um, when I was reading that, I was thinking about that, but I think it was killer and murderer and. Burn in hell, things like that, things of that oh, nature, you know. Okay, okay. Still, still not good. Still no, not, not not good. And statement. and you know, his parents didn't kill anybody, so th- right, they really weren't destroying Francois's house. They were mm-hmm. he was destroying his parents' house. So right. <sighs> well, talking about true crime, um, there's a lot of not good things that we have to bring up. So yeah, there is. Um, so, um, what other terrible shits are we getting into? Oh, are we going to talk about what made what him snap? What made or? him snap? Yeah. Okay. Well, hit it, Beth. Boom. <laughs> so, according to Claudia Rowe, the author of The Spider and the Fly, which is a book about this story, Francois was deeply alienated early on, and in school he was ostracized. His Body odor, as we discussed, can probably be attributed to the fact that he lived in garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Did his clothes ever get cleaned? I don't know. It's pretty obvious that his parents had problems, given the state of the house. And according to the TV show Most Evil, uh, the state of the home prevented him from forming normal relationships and was instrumental in forming him as a serial killer. But then he later used it to his advantage to hide the bodies. Mm -hmm. But anyway, because he could not form relationships, he would pick up sex workers. um, And in a letter he wrote to a woman that he corresponded with for a time, he said that he, quote, lacked self-esteem concerning women for the better part of my life. I didn't believe that I could be loved by a woman because of the way I looked, being overweight and all. Okay. I understand his feeling. I get I get that. I get it. Yeah, I get I get it. Uh I get it, but I but it frustrates me. <laughs> I'll just Uh-oh. put it that way. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, <laughs> All right, Miss Beth. This sounds like this sounds like something we need to. Hey, are you guys on our Facebook discussion group? Get get, get at on us because yeah. this sounds like this this needs some some more discussion. Yeah, so. we can't we can't figure this all out in one episode. No, no. I'll just say it frustrates me because um, there's things you can do, like you you can see a counselor, you know. Um, okay. There's stuff you can do, just not, um, I'm too fat, nobody's going to love me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to die alone. (laughs) That was my assumption. Yeah, but you're doing stuff, you do stuff to help, you know, you're always trying to improve yourself, you're always trying to do better, you know? And you see a counselor, and um, it just really frustrates me when people 
um, say, well, I'm just fat and nobody's going to love me and that's it. And, and won't do anything mm-hmm. to improve their self at all. And I'm not talking about losing weight. I'm talking about, uh, yes. loving Being yourself, you know, yeah. yeah, and not, not killing yeah. people. <laughs> Uh, wow that was a zinger zinger Beth this this has been hot takes corner with Beth and Wendy okay okay. so anyway according to an article I read he wrote that growing up he thought highly of women that they were better than men on a fundamental level but that changed while he was in the army, he wrote that seeing how the married women behaved themselves when their husbands were off training caused that once lofty pedestal to not only crumble, but come crashing down. And this is a problem with men who put women on pedestals. And when men say that they're going to treat you like a queen, just don't don't even don't go there because that's the kind of guy that's going to put you up on a pedestal. And then when you make a mistake or something, all of a sudden it's going to come crashing down and you're going to be a piece of shit, you know? It's just so funny. So anyway, uh, Lewis Schlesinger, a uh, forensic psychologist at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, said that Francois' comments highlight an ironic fact about many serial killers. Strange as it may sound, many sexual murderers are highly moralistic and they are offended by promiscuous sex. Mm. Oh, <laughs> offended? Offended? Oh. They're offended. Fuck you, cocksuckers. Yeah, of course, they can do whatever they want, but women, no, no. Uh, so uh, according to Claudia Rowe, the lady who wrote The Spider and the Fly, Francois told her that during sex with Gina Barone, she complained that he was too heavy and it was taking too long. So Francois choked her into silence so that he could finish. And according to the prosecutor, Francois said that killing seemed easier than getting into a relationship. And the way that he killed Gina Barone may be similar to what happened to the other women as well. Yeah. And uh, the show Most Evil rated him a vicious psychopath. Um, His story kind of reminds me of Jeffrey Dahmer in a way. How come? Because Jeffrey Dahmer was also very lonely, insecure, and he Uh felt inadequate. And he also kept bodies in his home. Mm. Similar similar in that way. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb here. <laughs> so I'm a big supporter of sex work. Uh-huh. And I just think that if um, sex workers were available to these men who uh, he, basically these guys, these dudes are incels, like, you know, yeah. the involuntary cel- celibate dudes. Right. Um, if they could get their pipes cleaned, <laughs> that maybe this wouldn't be a thing. I don't you know. know I, I mean? think it's maybe. more, I think there's more to it than that. I think it's, I mean, okay, yeah. it's not just the sex. Um, they want somebody to love them. Uh-huh. And, and sex well, workers are just there for the sex, you know. Um, sex and love appear to be the same thing to many people, m- to most people. Um, I don't know. You, do you not, you don't know. I mean, you, you can go know. and I, find I somebody sex, and have I, sex with them and then you leave, you know, or they leave and, and you're alone again. Uh-huh. So, um, I don't know. I just, sex is, um, very similar it's love adjacent yeah and so uh i i i would be comfortable um accepting sex and in the form of love and um just being comfortable going about my date and thinking that i am okay i'm okay i'm loved because i fucked somebody <laughs> earlier today for lunch <laughs> So I just wanted to say one more thing regarding his mom and her work as a nurse in a psychiatric center. Um, In my personal opinion, Mm -hmm. a lot of people are attracted to the fields of psychology and psychiatry 
because they want to figure out what's wrong with them. But uh, of course, instead of working on themselves, they're working on other people. So it doesn't really surprise me at all that she worked in a psychiatric center. Um, And we can all be a little bit blind when it comes to our loved ones. So uh, I'm not really that surprised by the fact that the parents um, didn't know. And the the sister, she was young and she, you know, this is how they lived. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything's confusing when you're that age anyway. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good point, Beth. Um, I was going to touch on the fact that erectile dysfunction is difficult to live with. Um, We know that Francois, uh, he was slow to finish during sex. And when a sex worker would ask him about it or point out the fact that, um, you know, he was taking too long to come, um, he would snap. And uh, in researching this case, I'm not aware of any abuse, uh, you know, imparted on um, Mr. Francois. But again, he was enormous, which is uh, hard to move about the world and be a black person and be a very large person who smells. Um, You know, people treat you differently because of your race. I know that personally, people treat me differently because I am a dark-skinned black woman. Um, and I'm also larger. I mean, you know, I have big boobs, I have a big butt, and 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 so people just um assume that maybe I have an attitude or people maybe assume that, you know, and so people come at me because um because of what I look like and I I Mr. Francois was no different. And so um, I imagine that he had maybe yeah. a challenging upbringing, life, a yeah. challenging um, upbringing, just, just because of right. how he looked and also smelled. So, um, so now we're going to get into our takeaways, what we um, thought of the this case. Um, I will say that it is wild to me that his family lived in this home (laughs) and didn't notice the goddamn fucking motherfucking smell. Uh, Also, same shit, different day. Um, Female sex workers, apparently of any color, his his victims were again, were were white women. Um, They were disposable. So that's uh, really unfortunate. It is. And I I think this is the third case we've covered where a guy hid bodies in his house. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And I had had no idea that so many serial killers did this. You're the OG of crime. You didn't know? What? Yeah, not, I didn't know it was so common. Um, and like you said, it's crazy that the whole family lived in the home. Mm-hmm. A- and also, um, as we touched on earlier, I, I have to admit that I, I felt bad for the little boy that he was growing up in that house. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. All right. Well, uh, how not to get murked. And uh, that is a new slang word that I learned this weekend uh, (laughs) for how not to get murdered. Um, I was uh, perusing uh, CNET this weekend uh, on their website um, for some personal safety apps. So I've got some apps 
um, for personal safety that will, I believe, help you not get schmurdered. So uh, the first one is Circle of Six. It uh, recruits friends when you're in an emergency situation. As as the name suggests, you register six friends as primary contacts. Tapping the app will display three buttons. A push pin, a phone call, and a chat. The push pin sends an automatic text message complete with your GPS location with your six friends. The call button sends your location and request that you call uh, about an emergency. The chat icon in case you just need to talk. Um, similar apps uh, include OnWatch and also uh, Panic Guard is another app that is a safety app. And Be Safe is also an app. It makes it easy to connect with friends and family while you're out on a date. Unlike Circle of Six, it also lets them see your phone's location at any time. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Be Safe. Download it now. Other functions include a timer that will contact your friends if you haven't checked in, letting them know your uh, that you might be in danger. Uh, the alarm has a PIN code, so your potential attacker can't send the notice for you. Finally, if you feel in danger, you can push an alert button that will notify your contacts and send them your GPS location, as well as a video you've recorded with the app. Um, also, another app is Hollaback. Hollaback girl. Uh, let's. It will let people um, share their stories of harassment with uh, the description of the attacker and location while Spot Crime. Now, Spot Crime is an app. And I have to give a disclaimer ahead of time. I think it is a super racist app, but it's there. So I'm going to give it to you. Um, Spot Crime Plus can help you avoid neighborhoods with high crime rates. Now, again, that's fucking racist. But (laughs) if you are like into safety apps, fine, get at it. Um, Not all abuse is physical. However, uh, not all victims report assaults. So a few discreet apps attempt to help those who might be in abusive situations. Um, One app is One Love My Plan. It's aimed at women ages 18 to 24 who are statistically more at risk of abuse. It asks questions about the relationship, um, then offers safety plan and places to get help. An app for information, particularly for friends and families of those that we know are going through tough times, provide me with information that I need to support that person, said Ruth Glenn, executive director uh, at the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, um, said even so, she warns against apps that promise to bring help during crisis. In those cases, it's Best to call 911 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 as the response times can be much faster. But, you know, if you have time to bide, um, maybe 911 isn't necessary. Check out this app. So anyway, yeah. that's what I got. All right. So now we're going to get into some uh, serial killer and crime news. So. What do you have for us today, Beth? Well, uh, Amanda in our Facebook group posted an article today. Um, It's about how there might be a serial killer in Chicago. Oh, no! Yeah, at least 51 women in Chicago have been murdered, strangled, and stuffed in uh, dumpsters or left in alleyways since 2001. So for the past 20 years... And despite the similarities among the deaths, uh, the cases have remained unsolved and unlinked (gasps) as of yet. So uh, 
of course, most of the women are women of color and sex workers. Of course. Of course. They talk about how there may be more than one killer at work, which reminds me of the situation in L.A. with the Southside Slayer murders, when it turned out that there were at least five serial killers operating in the same area at the same time. And we covered that in our Chester Turner episode. It was also the same time when the Grim Sleeper was at work and a few other guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took the public to raise awareness about it and get anything done. But that was 30 years ago. So in the, in the 80s, uh, same shit, different century, I guess. <laughs> I like that one. Same shit, different century. That's a good one. <laughs> but anyway, the, the murders share uh, a lot of characteristics. They're all strangulations. They took place in Chicago's south and west sides over the last two decades. All of the victims were women, and more than three quarters were African American women. Many were found in alleys and dumpsters. Some of the dumpsters were set on fire. Um, a nonprofit called Murder Accountability Project used a computer algorithm to identify this particular pattern of murders in Chicago. And Thomas Hargrove, a retired investigative journalist, is the group's founder and chairman. The Chicago Police Department says it's aware of that algorithm, but they hadn't done anything about these murders until recently when there was a lot of uh, activist uh, protests, things like that. And Mm. now it sounds like they're finally looking into it. Okay. Well, I'm glad that these police are finally getting their messy hoedness shit together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, uh, now we are getting into the portion of our show where we shout out any content uh, about people of color, women, minorities, LGBTQ, basically anybody who's not a straight white dude. <laughs> um, a podcast I just found is called Speaking of Racism podcast. Uh, Keep in mind that this is a safe space. We may not always say the right things, but we are saying something and nothing gets fixed if we don't talk about it. So that's what this podcast is about. Um, Also, uh, I wanted to shout out Special. It's a show on Netflix. (laughs) Oh my God. Have you watched it yet? No, I haven't. Oh my God. God, it is so good. (laughs) Uh, So it's on Netflix. It's about a young gay man who's 28 years old um, and he has cerebral palsy. And he is so funny. Um, But he has like a plus size, beautiful, supportive South Asian female friend, um, an overbearing mother. um, And it's just so funny. Um, I'd never even heard of it before. I'll have to check it out. Oh, my God. I just it is so funny. And he like loses his virginity to a sex worker. And, (laughs) you know, and the sex worker is like, you're way more flexible than my other cerebral palsy like <laughs> clients. Like it's it is so good. Um, so uh, it's 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 the first it's the first season. Um, but it's excellent. And I I you know I went to high school with actually one of the uh, actors who's oh, in the wow, show. Cool. Uh, and um, so if you didn't know about Jason Michael Snow, hey, on uh, <laughs> on Netflix, it's it's a really good show and i think um i i I don't know people with cerebral palsy don't don't get as much accolades or or, um attention no they don't um and it's a really cool show it's dope writing it's innovative it's nothing we've ever seen before so check it out all right yeah where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign fruit loops pod or you can become a monthly patron through our 
Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And we also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com slash merch. All right. So I was trying to get my hip hop air horn to work, but it's it's not working. Um, so if you if you if you donate to our cash app, then maybe I could afford a good soundboard. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! Ugh. Anyway, it's not working. Um, but uh, this is a weekly podcast, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.